sometimes we don't know where we're going until we look back and see where we've been. As we've been going through this series on relationships, it's a series on evaluating our relationships and really looking back and see where we've been so we can also look ahead to see where it is we're going. Again, come on, church. Do you like what you see? Do you like where you're going? Look, so far in this series, we have looked upward. We've looked upward at our relationship with God. This pivotal relationship that determines the outcome of every other relationship. More than any other relationship, this is a relationship we need to see if it's growing, if it's heading in the right direction, because this pivotal relationship determines the outcome of every other relationship. We've also looked inward at the relationship that we have with our family. Like these very close relationships, the choices that you're making don't just affect you. They affect those who are closest to you. So if you look inward at the relationship that we have with our family, we've also looked outward. We've looked outward to our relationship with others. Look, it's not about you. It's about loving God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. And it's about loving your neighbor, loving others as yourself. Look, it's not about you, but how you view you, how God views you matters. Because if you can see yourself in the way that God sees you, you will see every other relationship with the right perspective. We've also looked forward. We've looked at forward with our relationship with the church. Look, it is this relationship with the church that continues to help us move forward in the culture that we're in, in the world that we're in, when we see that we're not running this race alone. We literally have other people going through the same things together. It's in this relationship with the church that we see that, look, we don't just come to church occasionally, but man, we want to be the church always authentically. It's this relationship with the church that continues to help you to move forward and to see what it is that God has called us to do. And then today, we're looking backward. Now, perhaps you say, wait a minute, pastor. We can't look back, right? In fact, I heard another pastor say one time that, hey, you don't, you don't live in your past. You look toward the future. And look, I agree with that, okay? I, I agree with that. In fact, I'm, I'm the type of person who really, like, I like to live in the future. I'm always looking toward the future, always looking toward what's next. Is anybody else out there like that, or am I, am I the only one? Anyone else? You're always thinking about the future, what's next? Okay, like, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm always thinking about what in the world my next meal is going to be. I'm always hungry. I'm always thinking about what meal is coming next. I'm thinking about it right now, church, okay? Um, I'm always thinking about what car I'm going to next get, get next. Um, a lot of times, like my, one of my cars right now has 199,000 miles on it. I'm dreaming about what the next car looks like. In fact, I know many of you know that I've been praying for that somehow the Lord will actually provide me a Tesla Model X. Because that $130,000, $150,000 price tag is a little bit too far outside of my range. But I want you to know there's a couple people in the church who have heard my prayer and they've answered my prayer. And just this year, I've gotten not one, but two Teslas. Apparently, I need to water them or plug them in or something like that, and they're going to grow. Look, I'm always thinking about what the next chapter of our church looks like. Look, I want us to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. I want you, no matter what your ethnic group is, no matter what age and stage you are, to connect, grow, serve, and multiply. I'm always thinking about our next chapter and what that looks like and how God is going to accomplish that here. 
I'm always thinking about how, man, I can see this place full with multiple services, sending out more people to produce more gospel outposts all around this area, growing in Christ together, knowing one another, serving one another, making an actual difference in this community. Look, I'm always thinking about what's next. But sometimes, before you can know where you're going, you have to look back. You have to look back and see where it is that you've been. Today, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul, he's writing to this young pastor that he has discipled, that he's mentored. And he's telling Timothy to look back at his faith, to look back and see all the things that God has done in him. Because Paul knows that his life, his life is about to come to an end. So he's telling this young pastor that he's discipled, that he's mentored to look back at this sincere faith because he also needs to begin to look forward, to look toward a future that doesn't have Paul in it. So he takes a moment as his life, his ministry is heading near the finish line to encourage this young pastor by telling him to look back at all what God has done in him and through him and these important relationships that God has put in his life. Look, we're going to start with some responsive reading today. And for those of you who are regular attendants, you already know what to do. Uh, But if you're brand new, what's going to happen? You're going to see the Bible passage, the verses we're going to be in today up on the screen. You're going to see some of the verses highlighted in bold. And you're going to see some of the verses not in bold, okay? So the ones in bold, we're all going to read together. And the ones not in bold, just I'm going to read those. Okay, so remember, church, stay in your lane. Uh, But let's all stand, okay? Let's all stand and let's read God's Word together this powerful passage right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, pause right there for a moment. Church, God has not given you a spirit of fear. But instead, through the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, what he has given you is a spirit of power, love, and of self-control. Some of you right now, you've been afraid in a relationship because you know you need to have a conversation. Maybe there's a, a boss that needs to have a conversation with an employee or even an employee that needs to have a conversation with the boss and you're afraid. You know right now that you need to have a conversation in the relationship that you're in and a conversation that would actually be good, it would be helpful, it would even be godly. But right now you're afraid. And some of you right now, you're in a dating relationship and that relationship is pulling you further from Christ. You know you didn't have the conversation to end that relationship, but you're afraid. Some of you right now, you know that you need to commit to a relationship because it would be God honoring. But for whatever reason right now, you're afraid. Look, that fear does not come from God. Instead, he's given you a spirit that taps into the power of God the love of God that secures you, and this spirit-driven, this spirit-given self-control. Look, I know right now you are physically standing in that as we read this verse, but would you mentally and spiritually walk in that and love people in this way that God has called us to? 
Verse 80 says, look, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to be called to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Look, before you head to your seats today, I want you to find three people around you. I want you to high five them and I want you to go ahead and announce to them my little subtitle for today. Find three people, high five them and tell them, look, you got to look back. Okay, you got to look back. Church, you got to look back, okay? In fact, write this down. Number one, look back at your faith. Look back at your faith. But not only that, look back at verse one. Paul says, I'm reminded, Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Look, Timothy, or Paul here, he's talking about how Timothy's faith is sincere. And we talked about this a lot last week. Like what, what Paul is talking about right here, in fact, that word sincere in the original language, look, it means genuine. In fact, in the original language this was written in, it even means anti-hypocrisy. He's saying that this is a faith that is genuine. It is even authentic. It is sincere. But look again at verse 5, okay? Look, Paul says, your sincere faith. In fact, it's in 2 Corinthians where Paul was even challenging the believers themselves to see if their faith is genuine, to see if their faith is authentic. And he says, you need to look back at your faith in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians. He says, look, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. He says, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But notice again, in both of these verses, look, Paul says, look, examine your faith, your sincere faith, Timothy. He doesn't say, look, examine the faith of your grandma or your cousin in them. He said, examine your faith. You know, our kids, especially like our younger sons have been in this season right now where they have been just confessing things that they did either before coming to Christ or now that they've known Jesus, they've realized it's wrong. They will come and confess something in particular to my wife, to their mom. And maybe that's because they want to come to her because she's a more grace-filled person in our relationship. In fact, my wife's name, Anna, it means beauty and grace. And I just want you to know that you're the most beautiful, grace-filled woman in the world. There's no one else on this planet more special to me than you. And yes, I'm trying to earn some brownie points for Mother's Day as well. 
But for whatever reason, like, they've been just realizing some things and they've been realizing, hey, when we did this before, it was wrong. And man, we need to confess this to God. We need to confess this to our mom. In fact, just the other day, our sons came to her and they said, hey, mom, we just want to tell you, when we were younger, as if they're somehow dramatically older now, but they were saying when we were younger, sometimes when you guys would pray, because, I mean, what do you do when you pray typically, right? You bow your heads and you close your eyes, which... Can I just say that you don't have to close your eyes. Like, there's no biblical mandate for that. We pretty much do it so we can focus on the Lord. In fact, man, I encourage you guys when you're driving to pray, but keep your eyes open, okay? So they said that a lot of times when we would pray as a family and people would bow their heads and close their eyes, they said that what they would do, they would plug their ears. They were plugged their ears because they did not like hearing people pray. They didn't want to pray. But they said to her, but, but now, now that we, we know Jesus, now that we're growing in him, they said, we actually love to pray. In fact, we've even seen this in them where during this season, sometimes they'll even pray more for the requests that we give more than we actually pray for the requests that are given to us. And man, we've seen the growth in them. And they may not even know it yet. They may not even know yet, but what they're doing is that they're confessing when they're being hypocritical. Like they're confessing to God, they're confessing to others when they've literally still missed the mark by how they still need the grace of God. But what they're also confessing is that they're growing in Christ, that they're starting to love the things of God more and more and the things not of God less and less. Man, it is a picture on how we are to grow in our faith with the Lord. Church, look back at your faith. Do you see you have a faith that is sincere? Come on, do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? Have you believed the good news about the gospel? Have you believed this good news that this Jesus who is God, he wasn't just another teacher or first century rabbi or philosopher, but he came into this earth to pay the price for your sins. Look, we all at some point were dead in our sins, completely lost without Christ. But did you have a moment when you realized that this Jesus was the only solution for your sin problem? Have you trusted him as Lord? Have you repented of your sin, believed the good news about Jesus, and began to receive this life to the full that he wants to do in you right now, right here on earth, but that also goes up to eternal life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And is your relationship with Jesus growing? Is this a faith that is authentic? Is this a faith that is sincere? Do you see that in Christ that you are growing in your faith? Look, I know it's Mother's Day, but did you know that God does not have any grandchildren? You can't be in Christ through anyone else. Again, you can't ride someone else's coattails to heaven. Like you can't get to heaven through faith in your grandma or your mom, or your grandfather, or your cousin, or even simply by going to church. The only way to the Father is to Christ. The only way to the Father is in relationship with Jesus. Come on, do you, when you look back, do you see that you have a faith that is, in, that is sincere, that is authentic, that is even growing? But number two, church, write this down, okay? Look back at your most influential relationships. Not only when you look back at our faith and see if it's growing, if it's sincere, if it's authentic, if it's in Christ, but we also need to look back at our most influential relationships. And I want you to write in parentheses right next to that point right there. I want you to write down the good and the bad. 
The relationships that have influenced you the most that are so good, but also the ones that are not the best. There's this tendency right now in our culture that if you feel any disparity or any pushback or receive any type of negative feedback or any type of criticism in your life, there is this tendency to immediately to label that people are trying to like hurt you or set you back or even try to keep you down or hold you down. Now, first of all, with that, sometimes in life, like we actually need people in life who are going to challenge us, correct us, even discipline us and encourage us like to go the way that is the most godly way. We need people in life who are going to give us like some healthy, godly evaluation. But see, the truth of the matter is there are people at times who are trying to maybe hold you back or even keep you down. But when you're in Christ, because of the gospel, it allows you to even look back and see if there was a relationship, a circumstance, or situation that's trying to hold you back or keep you down, that even that setback is a setup for victory that is in Christ. Look, no matter what happens in your life, like God wants to work, whatever it is, for our good and for his glory. Look, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one of the most well-known, most famous Bible verses in all of Scripture. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, he says, look, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Look, church, this isn't just some type of coffee mug verse or some type of T-shirt verse, okay? This is the truth of the word of God, that God keeps his promises and he will accomplish what it is that he said. You know, as a pastor, I often get asked the question, why do bad things happen to people? And oftentimes I give the theological and most profound answer in saying that I do not know. But what I do know is somehow, some way, God's going to work it out for your good and for your glory. And for his glory, not your glory. God's going to work it out for your good and for his glory. You know, right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, oftentimes like people will get kind of stuck on this verse and question this verse. But have you ever looked at what the Lord says through Paul, through the rest of this passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 31? Look, Paul writes, he says, what then? Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? And let me just say, church, God is for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, Paul says, in all these things, in suffering, in persecution, in pain. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Listen to me, church. We never want to minimize when someone's gone through something painful or they suffered. I have conversations with people who have been in the most grotesque relationships, who have been in relationships where there's been so much tension and turmoil and even pain. And even though we don't understand that, why we had to go through that, I don't understand exactly why, but I know because the Lord has said it, I believe it. Somehow, some way, he's going to work it out for your good and for his glory. But not only do we look back at the relationships that maybe were not the best for us and see what God was trying to maybe do in that, but we also look back at the good influences that are in our life. Look, Paul tells Timothy to look back at his grandma and what his mom taught him and instilled in him as their faith was literally poured into him. Look again what it says here in verse 5. Paul says, look, this sincere faith is a faith that first dwelled, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, Paul says, I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. You know, it's so interesting to note here that Paul, he knew the names of Timothy's mom and also Timothy's grandma. So again, like this mentorship relationship that Paul had with Timothy, it wasn't just a project. It was personal. Paul knew Timothy so well, so closely that he knew the names of Timothy's grandma, Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice. He knew their names, which is a reminder for us that when it comes to relationships, we don't view people as projects. We don't view them as just another box to check off or some type of trophy to, to be had. We don't view them as something that we're, we're just trying to get into relationship with so we can get our own personal goals or personal things accomplished or taken care of. Look, Paul knew Timothy well enough that he knew their names. And this faith that Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice had was so strong, so deeply rooted, so on display that it overflowed into Timothy. So much so, it was on display, so much so that it impacted the Apostle Paul. Man, the Apostle Paul, this super Christian who would write um, almost two-thirds of the New Testament, who started so many churches, who was this faithful follower of Jesus, it so much so impacted him that he recorded it, and we're still talking about it today, 2,000 years later. It impacted him so much that even though this story happened 4,500 miles across the ocean, we're still talking about this faith story today. Look, church, do you have people in your life with faith like that? Do you have influences in your life with character and with calling and with Christ so centered in their lives that it's literally on display, that it overflows, that it's impacting your life? Do you have people in your life like that? Look, do this for me, church, okay? Hold up the number five, okay? Hold up the number five, right? Hold up the number five. Don't worry, I'm not gonna have you high-five somebody again, all right? But turn to your neighbor. Just kidding, I'm not gonna have you do that today, okay? But I've heard it said so many times that you are most like the five people who are closest to you. And again, do you like what you see? Do you like where you're going? Who are the top five most influential people in your life? Look, I'm saying that when it comes to those people in your life, look, they need to have a faith like Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice. 
There are people in your life that are literally putting Christ on display, but they're really living this sincere, authentic life that Paul's talking about right here. Look, again, I'm not saying that in our relationships, in our friendships, in our partnerships, that we all need to have this top-tier Christians only as our friends. Not saying that at all. But the truth is, man, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And again, we love everyone, But we give the closest seats of influence at the table of our lives to those who are going to help us to go further and deeper into a relationship with Christ. Come on, when you look back at those top influences in your life, man, do they love Jesus? Are they involved in church? Are they actively growing in their relationship with Christ? Come on, are they servants? Are they humble like Jesus? We look at the, the biggest influence in our life and even the challenging ones, even the painful ones, because even somehow, some way, God's going to work that out for our good and for his glory. But we also look back at the relationships in our life to see right now, man, where are the people in our lives who are closest to us? Where are they leading us? But number three, church, okay, last one, write this down. We also need to look back to see who it is that we're bringing with us. Look, look back and see what it is that you're actually bringing with you. Look, I came up with a couple questions that I wanted to kind of ask around this passage in 2 Timothy. And as we look back and see where the Lord's been bringing us in our relationships. And the first question that I see that we can ask here is what are you putting on display for others and thinking indirectly? What are you putting on display for others, even if it's indirectly, even if you haven't realized that you've been putting something on display for others? Look again in verse 8. Paul says, look, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But, Paul says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Look, therefore, Paul says. Look, anytime we read a Bible passage here and you see the word therefore, it's always good to know what in the world that therefore is there for. And Paul's saying, look, therefore, because of this sincere faith, Timothy, that you have, this faith that is genuine, it's anti-hypocritical, this faith that is authentic, this faith has been instilled in you from your grandmother and your mom and that Paul himself has been pouring into, he says, therefore, even as you lead this church, he says, look, do not be ashamed of the gospel, You know, some scholars and historians have actually suggested that Paul, being in prison, that some of the people in the church, including Timothy, might have been feeling some shame because their starter, the person that led them and mentored them, was now in jail. And especially in the first century, there was a stigma of being being in prison and if you were associated with anyone who was in prison. Some people even thought that maybe because of all the persecution that was happening under the Emperor Nero, which is this wicked emperor in the first century in Rome, that was literally having Christians burned at the stake, who was literally throwing Christians in arenas, having them mauled by lions, this evil, wicked Emperor Nero. Some people think that because of that, like the believers, including Timothy, were feeling a little timid, that they were maybe even dismayed or even afraid. 
And Paul's telling Timothy, look, instead of displaying fear, share in the testimony, even if it means suffering for the gospel. Paul says, look, even if they enslave his body, they can never enslave his spirit because the only one that he's really enslaved to is Christ. And again, Paul doesn't deny the fact that suffering happens because it's happening to him right now. But he says, in that, even in suffering and persecution, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Church, what are you putting on display right now, whether you're in a tough season or not? Sometimes, again, we don't even realize it, but in our words, our deeds, our responses to others, how we respond to what's happening in us and even around us, we might just be showing that we are ashamed of the gospel. Come on, parents in the room. Is going to church a priority or secondary thing for you? Is in your home, reading the Bible, praying, serving, inviting, doing the things that God called us to, in your home right now, are you, even if it's been indirectly up to this point, showing your kids that faith in Jesus is secondary? You might be displaying that you're ashamed of the gospel. Come on, single adults in the room. When you're with your posse, is that what people, do people still say that? Your posse? No? When you're with your peeps, there you go, modern. When you're with your people, when you're with your people, like, do they even know that you're a follower of Jesus? When you're hanging out with them, um, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, wherever you find yourself right now, do people even know you're a follower of Jesus? Because maybe it's been indirectly at this point, but are you putting on display you're ashamed of the gospel and no one even has any idea that you're a Jesus follower? Come on, from your social media post, would people be able to tell that you are more in love with Taylor Swift than Christ? From the post that you're doing on social media, do people realize that you care way more, way more about politics than you do about actually helping people know what the gospel is? Maybe again, maybe it's just been indirectly, but you might be showing people right now that you're ashamed of the gospel and there's something else that you're more in love with. Church at times, way more is actually caught than it is taught. Every single one of us is influencing someone. Every single one of us is influencing someone, especially when we're in relationship with them, especially when we're actually connected to them. What are you putting on display for others? But also, who are you pouring into thinking intentionally? Look, we need to think about what is it we're putting on display for others, even if it's been indirectly. But what is it that we are putting on display or actually pouring into others intentionally? Listen to what Paul says here in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Look, there has been both this indirect but also intentional mentoring and disciple of Timothy that has come from Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice and even Paul. Paul was intentionally pouring into Timothy. And it's interesting to note that right here as Paul writes this, he's actually nearing the end of his life. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Look, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He says, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. 
Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. Look, even though Paul knew the end was coming, he kept pouring. He kept pouring into Timothy. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. He says, you then, my child, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. He says, entrust this, entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He says, think over what I said. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And he says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Look, I love how intentionally, even though he's coming near, near to the end of his life, even though he's in prison right now writing this, intentionally, Paul is still pouring into Timothy. Look, church, I guarantee you that this type of mentorship and discipleship is not convenient. In fact, it wasn't convenient for Paul. He's literally in prison writing this. But as he's nearing the end of his life, man, what is he doing? He's pouring into someone else, pouring into them, continuing to disciple them and mentor them so that they can see what it is that actually matters most in life. He's pouring into Timothy and even encourage him to do the same with others. He says, teach other faithful men the things that I've taught you so they in turn can, can teach others. Look, it's multiplication to make disciples that make disciples. Which brings me to the last question and we need to ask as we're looking back at our relationships Look, who are you going to leave behind thinking legacy? Who is it that you are going to actually leave behind thinking about a godly, faith-filled legacy? Now, it's interesting here that, again, if Paul nears the end of his life, he's not thinking about his 401k, okay? He's not thinking about how many followers he has on Roman TikTok. He's not thinking about whether recession is going to happen, or whether or not um, he's going to get more followers and something. He's not thinking about any of that. In this moment, he's thinking about this person that he's poured into and how can he continue to help them accomplish everything that God wants to do in them and through them. Look, even though life is short, church, what are you putting on display for others indirectly because it matters? Who are you pouring into intentionally because it matters? Who are you actually going to leave behind thinking legacy because it matters? You know, most of you do not know the name Walda Taves. Uh, Walda Taves is my mother-in-law, my wife's mom, obviously. And she is this sweet saint of the Lord. Man, she loves Jesus and it is on display in her life. It overflows into every relationship that she's in. In fact, here's a picture of her um, actually on this motorcycle here when we were at the Portsmouth Children's Museum right here. There it is right there. I actually 
Sometimes she watches our service online, and I try to find an embarrassing picture, but this is the best I could do. Um, this is when she came to visit us. In fact, she loves her family. Um, just last year, she was down here at Christmas time, um, and you'll see a picture up here. And uh, my wife made me take this picture in our pajamas, so don't none of you guys take a picture of this and share it anywhere, or I will hunt you down as well. Don't share this picture of us in our pajamas. But she comes, and again, like the joy of the Lord is just in her. It overflows to every relationship that she's in. In fact, one of the people in our family that really loves her is also our cat, okay? Look, our cat absolutely hates me, but look, there's the cat hanging out with her because everybody loves Walda Taves, okay? Look, she's the type of person where her faith is sincere. Her faith is on display. In fact, her faith was on display when her and her husband first went to start a church out in California and then had the call to move out to Kentucky. Her faith was on display when they went there and it didn't exactly work out the way that it intended. Her faith was on display when she's been praying for so many people, when she really prays for them and follows up, up with them and really seeks the Lord on their behalf. Her faith has been on display. Her faith has been on display where she serves so faithfully in her church, serving in her kids' ministry, and even now as the children's director as her church. Like she, she has prayed so many kids into heaven. So many people will be in heaven because of her faith being on display. Man, her faith has been on display in our family. And it is so evident that she isn't some fake follower of Jesus, but she is sincere in her faith. She really loves the Lord and it overflows into her life. Her faith was on display when after being married for 46 years, her husband Jim suddenly got sick from COVID-19. Her faith was on display when she was pleading and begging that the Lord would heal him and would help him and would restore him. Her faith was on display. And her faith was on display when the Lord decided to take Jim home when he didn't answer her prayer in the way that she wanted. Her faith was shaken, but it wasn't stolen. Her faith was on display. She continued to seek the Lord even when she didn't understand it, even in the pain of loss. Her faith was on display. Church, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? Like, we want to have our faith on display, man. It gives glory to God in every single season, no matter what relationship that we're in, that it actually passes down a blessing from generation to generation. You may not know the name Walda Taves, but we do. Our kids do. In fact, my daughter, a little bit earlier this week, wrote a Mother's Day card, a grandma Mother's Day card for Walda. And she, she didn't know that we were going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 today. But listen to what Micaiah wrote her grandmother. Listen to this. She said, Dear Grandma, thank you so much for being such a good mother to my mom and training her to become a good mother to me. Thank you for passing on the torch of faith as well. I love you. And then she paraphrased, paraphrased 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. She says, I remember your honest and true faith. It was alive first in your grandmother and certain it is alive in you as well. Church, what we're putting on display for others matters. Who we're intentionally bringing behind us, it matters. 
with who we're actually going to leave a legacy of faith with matters. Look, discipleship, it is mentorship that leaves a God-glorifying legacy. Look, as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, I honestly was not 100% sure how to close out this message today. Um, I thought I would give you two steps to take, and I'm going to give them to you, okay? There's two steps I want you to take um, after looking at this legacy of faith that Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice passed down to Timothy and that Paul was pouring into Timothy. The first thing I want you to do is that I want you to, to think about who is it that has poured into you, that has left a legacy of faith with you. And maybe that's your small group leader, man. Maybe that's um, a, a former Sunday school teacher, whoever it is. If there's someone that's either poured into you and if there are still pouring into you, would you reach back out to them this week? If they're still alive, would you reach back out to them this week? And would you just simply tell them, thank you. Tell them, thank you for taking the time to pour into you, to invest in you. Because mentorship, discipleship, that leaves a God-glorifying legacy. Look, it is not convenient. But man, it can make a difference in somebody's life. So would you send that person a message simply saying thank you? But the second thing I want to challenge you to do is that you would do the same. That you would pray for, if you don't have that right now, pray, God, who is it that I can intentionally mentor and disciple? Because this is what we're called to do in our relationships. Man, mentorship, discipleship is one that leaves a God-glorifying legacy. And simply pray, God, who is it that you can bring into my life, who's already in my life, that I can actually pour into? And you may even say, you know what, Andrew? My life has been so messed up. Um, my life has been so messed up. I've done so many things wrong. I haven't gotten many things right. And even now that I'm in Christ, I look back at my past and it's so messed up and so jacked up. Look, when you mentor that person, you tell them everything what not to do, okay? You tell them everything what not to do, but now that you're in Christ, man, you point them to what Jesus wants to do in their life. So I thought about ending the message that way, and I do want to challenge you to do that. But also I keep thinking about how Paul was at the end of his life. And what was he doing? He was still pouring into Timothy. Look, church, all of us at some point, our life on earth is going to end. So what is it that actually matters most? Are we actually in our relationships going to do what it is that God has called us to do? Because there is something that matters and there is a legacy that will be left behind. So what legacy are you going to leave? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for, again, just this incredible example of what you did with Paul. God, as he poured into Timothy, God, I thank you for the example of Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice, that they overflow and they put on display this incredible love of God. They literally poured it into Timothy so much so that 2,000 years later, God, we're still talking about it today. God, would you help us to be intentional about what matters the most? God, we know that whether um, whoever it is you brought in our life, God, we know they're not to be projects, but God, it is to be personal. We are to love people in the way that you have called us to. God, help us to be people who put your love, your grace, your forgiveness, the gospel on display, indirectly, intentionally, and focused on leaving a legacy. God, help us to look upward at our relationship with you, Lord. Do we have a sincere faith right now with you that glorifies you, 
God, help us to look inward at these relationships with our family, God. Are we actually making the choices that glorified you and helps them? God, help us to see again, this life is not about us, but it's about you. God, help us to always move forward with what you've called us to do, Lord, to be authentic disciple makers. And help us, Lord, to look back. Help us, Lord, to look back and see who it is that we're bringing with us. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.